0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Bearstalk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sportsdrink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels, so S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <coughs> What's up, guys? Long time, no talk, but here we are back once again and uh, got a little bit to talk about here. It's uh, the the long and exhaustive search that George McCaskey promised us on the second press conference from hell, uh, or press conference from hell part deux, or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, it. It was long and it was exhaustive, even though it was only a couple of weeks, but it was 23 candidates interviewed. I think 13 general managers, 10 head coach interviews. The first ball to drop was the general manager and made a good impression, I think, right off the bat when rumors started flying that one of the conditions on him taking the job was that he wanted to pick his coach. And so they turned it over to him, and then he made his decision on who the head coach of the Chicago Bears would be uh, for, the, for the near future. And uh, so it wasn't another Ryan Pace situation where he was hired, and even though he had thoughts on who he wanted to hire – He, you know, uh, John Fox was forced upon him. Uh, This guy comes in, says, that's not happening here. I want to make my choice and I want to pick the head coach and we're going to go forward from there. And McCaskey turned the reins over to him. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come that we're going to let the football people handle the decisions going forward. Uh, He did say that in his press conference that the general manager would run the entire football operations side of things. So, maybe this is a sign that, uh, you know, Bill Poleon came in and gave him some good advice on how to handle that uh, or, or what the, whatever the situation may be. But we made the two big important hires, and they've, been, they've put together quite a staff uh, of coaches so far. Still a couple of openings uh, left open. But uh, this is what we're here for to talk about this new regime, the new general manager, the new head coach. So, this is. The general manager, the new general manager and new head coach review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. So our beloved finally made their decision on new head coaches and new general managers. Um, well, actually, one of each. Um, And, uh, you know, it was a, like I said, it was a long, exhaustive search. It was interesting seeing the names that were coming in, that were being interviewed. And of course, the rumors flying all over uh, on who's interviewed was good, whose interview wasn't, who was impressive, who made the, who was, you know, looked upon as a favorite or a finalist or or anything uh, like that. Um, You know, I was a big fan of uh, Rick Smith. Uh, the former general manager of the Houston Texans, um, who ran that organization very well, had built up something very good uh, down there in Houston before his wife fell ill, and um, he decided to uh, to do the right thing and step down as general manager and uh, president of football operations out there to um, to take care of his uh, ailing wife. Uh, sadly, she did not survive. Uh, her ailment and uh, rumor was that Rick was looking to get back into the uh, into the game. So for me, that made him the favorite from the jump. Not so much, n- not even so much, because of his general manager uh, experience, but because he was also president of football operations. And with McCaskey saying that the general manager uh, would be basically running all the football operations uh, in the building, it would have been nice to have a guy on staff who had done it before and successfully uh at the same time so someone that didn't lose his job because his his you know his football team fell apart and, and and all that kind of stuff he made the wrong decision at at head coach which that's arguable but I think Bill O'Brien made things worse there uh and he was good when he was only coaching it was when he also took over general manager duties that things went to hell in Houston but um you know I really like the idea uh of Rick Smith Um, but I don't think that he ever got interviewed, to be honest with you. Or if he did, it was just the first interview and, uh, you know, I think I read online uh, from our good friend uh, Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery that uh, he was taking his name out of consideration, at least for this cycle uh, and whatnot. I guess he just wasn't feeling what was out there, or maybe he wasn't ready uh, to come back. Uh, You know, like I said, several uh, candidates were interviewed. Ed Dodds from the uh, Colts, who was who was looked upon as like a edgier Chris Ballard. But I guess, uh, you know, something didn't go well with the interview. He removed his name from consideration after uh, his interview. Uh, Same thing with Morocco Brown, also from the uh, Colts. So the bears were looking to dip into that uh, uh, Chris Ballard tree there uh, to, uh, to, you know, take their talent, uh, you know, away and, and things like that. And then, A name came in kind of at the 11th hour. It was somebody, it was a name that I hadn't heard before, uh, or at least somebody that was in consideration or was running. But once his name became apparent, all of a sudden he was highly regarded. He was somebody that was, uh, you know, one of those up and comers, one of those fast risers, and and somebody who basically jumped the line and automatically became uh, the favorite. Uh, apparently murdered his uh first interview the zoom interview um initially and then came in to soldier or excuse me hallis hall for his uh second interview and uh the bears didn't let him out of the building and his name of course you all know by now is uh Ryan Poles, uh our new uh general manager and um you know like uh like Ryan Pace a young guy uh pace was 37 uh, when he was hired, Ryan Poles is 36, uh, also a, a former player. Ironically, uh, his only time in the NFL after blocking for Matt Ryan at, in Boston College uh, for four years. Uh, I think he was like roommates, like Matt Ryan was best man at his wedding and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he was actually an undrafted free agent for the Bears in 2008. So it's kind of like a full circle thing. You know, he went from being one of those guys that we signed to fill up the roster, come into training camp, maybe you get lucky and and earn a roster spot, to now being the guy who will fill the roster and uh, build the organization uh, from here. But uh, his resume is impressive, uh, all of which is with the Kansas City Chiefs. But what's unique about it is that during his time uh, in Kansas City, he has been under three different general manager so he's seen three different approaches uh three different styles and things like that so he very well could be a combination of all three or he's been there watching those regimes he knows what this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge (sighs) is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What he likes to do, uh, what not to do, and and so on and so forth. The Chiefs have been successful virtually that entire time, Uh, especially like 2013 and going forward. That's when Andy Reid came to town. He started in Kansas City as a scouting assistant uh, in 2009, and then from 2010 to 2015, he was the college scouting coordinator. 2016 to 2018, he was director of college scouting. Uh, 2019-2020, assistant director of player personnel, so he's climbing the ladder. And then last year, he was actually a finalist for the general manager spot in Carolina. Uh, That didn't work out, and Kansas City promoted him to executive director of player personnel, and now he is the general manager uh, of the Chicago Bears. And as I said in the open, Without, before the press conference and, and getting any FaceTime uh, with him, uh, I was impressed by the fact that he basically said he was only taking the job if he could pick his head coach. This was now going to be another Ryan Pace situation where Pace came in and rumor was he had thoughts on who he wanted the head coach to be, like maybe he had already had talks with Dan Quinn about bringing him in back in 2015 or, or whatever the situation was. But... He was, you know, forced to take on John Fox uh, in 2015 as opposed to Ryan Pohl saying, no, I want to make my own decision on who the head coach is. The Bears had narrowed the 10 candidates they'd spoken to at head coach down to three finalists. And uh, I don't think he met with all three, but uh, he definitely met with uh, Iberflues, uh, Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. And apparently, it was love at first sight between those two because Matt Eberflus is now the, I believe, 17th head coach of the Chicago Bears after four years as defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, where they were a top 10 scoring defense all four years. And what, uh, you know, scoring defense means that uh, they were top 10 and least points allowed uh, in the NFL. All four years that uh, that he was out there, uh, they do run a four three. He is a Rod Marinelli, therefore a Lovey Smith uh, disciple uh, from that tree and uh, from that from that mentality. And one of the things that I loved immediately when I heard about Matt Ibraflus and started hearing more and more about his background was the Rod Marinelli and Lovey Smith um, mentality of Loafs and effort, and swarming uh, to the football, and all that kind of stuff, and it made all the sense in the world. You go back and you watch Indianapolis play, you very rarely see one guy make the tackle. There's always four, or five guys around the ball. That's how it is. They're always attacking the ball. Darius Leonard, I think, led the league in forced fumbles uh, this year, and and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Colts go after the football. They attack the Tackler, it's just not one guy that gets there. There's always five or six uh, to greet you, and um, that's something that we desperately need. I mean, just some some of the things that we saw in the past couple of years, um, just not the effort that we're used to seeing uh, here uh, in Chicago. That's just not what we're what we're used to seeing, and and especially in that the, in that regime with with Lovey and all those guys. There's there was a clip going around. Twitter and it was a simple like play on on uh, against the Vikings, but it was during uh, during the Lovey tenure because all the all the names that were flying around in there: Ricky Manning Jr., uh, Peanut Tillman, Erlacher was in on it. Briggs, Tommy Harris, Tank Johnson were all in on that. We're all in on a tackle. It was a simple like out pass out into the flat to like Chester Taylor uh, or something like that and initially it was Peanut that was right there in front of him. First thing he does is try to punch the football. While he's doing that, Ricky Manning wraps him around the ankles. He starts to try to get away from Ricky Manning. Here comes... Uh, Tank Johnson comes crashing into both Peanut and Ricky Manning. And then out of nowhere, like Superman, here comes Lance Briggs, who literally comes flying in over the top, grabs the tackler around the waist, takes him to the ground, and then four more bears fall on top of them all. Okay, it's a 20-second clip. I've retweeted it if you want to go and check my uh, feed uh, to see the clip, but it gave me chills watching it because I miss watching the Bears do stuff like that, and I hope that that is something that we will see again in the very near future. Um, just that that hustle, that mentality, uh, getting after it, being intense, being aggressive, being the monsters of the midway because we haven't been the monsters of the midway since 2019. We haven't. You know, 2018, absolutely monsters of the midway. 2019, still an aggressive, solid Defense, but nowhere near as dangerous as we were the year before. Turnovers were down. We weren't getting to the quarterback uh, as much. I mean, we started suffering injuries and things like that. But, you know, and then obviously last year was I mean, the defense has been good all four years of Matt Nagy's tenure. Lucky for him. But um, we've seen to be on the decline in the last few years. And I think it was that thing that's. That's everyone is excited about, and guys like Olin Crutes and and and, uh, and what have you, there are excited about what Matt Eberflus had to say in the press conference when he was introduced to the media this past Monday. Was the accountability the loaf system, and if you have too many loafs, then your your t- your time on the field will either be cut down drastically or cut out completely until you can prove once again that you're willing to put in the work, the hustle, the effort to be out there on the field. So maybe under this new coaching regime, while guys are getting used to the system, figuring out if they like it, love it, hate it, and whatever, uh, maybe the ta- we'll have a talent deficit that will go down, but we'll have out guys out there that will want to be out there and that will be giving the effort, showing That they want to be out there. There's going to be an accountability, something that has been sorely, sorely missing under the Matt Nagy regime. You know, we're not going to have, you know, based on listening to these guys, we're not going to have another uh, Javon Wims or um, Anthony Miller throwing punches, uh, ironically, to the same guy, but, you know, openly throwing punches and starting fights. And then, You know, coming back to the team after little to no consequence. Like Javon Wims would have been unemployed after his suspension was over with the league because the, the league suspended him for two games. He comes back, he's right back out on the field. I mean, he never really played much. It's not like he was a starter that we depended on, but he was out there stealing reps from other people who deserved it, other people who didn't get into a fist fight in the middle of the field where everybody could see you. To just stand right there in the middle of the field and throw... Number one, throwing a fist into the head of someone wearing a helmet. Wearing a helmet. And by the way, you're a receiver. Your hands might possibly be the most important potty part you got. And there you are throwing a fist punch into somebody's head who's wearing a fiberglass helmet with a, uh, a metal face mask. Always a brilliant idea. And then, you know, fast forward a few months later... Uh, same uh, instigator, different jackass, same result, throwing a punch, getting himself ejected, hurting the football team, and things like that. You know, it just seemed like there was little to no accountability for um, making mistakes, uh, little to no accountability for the lack of effort that we saw uh, at times or the fact that nobody was running to the football and, you know, it was always up to the guy making the tackle. To make the tackle because there weren't going to be five, six, seven guys. I mean, one of the guys in on that tackle, on that Bears-Vikings clip from years ago, was Alex Brown. And it was a throw out to the right side, and Alex Brown was the right defensive end, which meant he was on the opposite side of the field from where the play took place. And Alex Brown ran all the way across the field to help in on a tackle that was well taken care of by Lance Briggs and two other people. But like I said, When that guy was going down, four of the Bears fell on top of Lance Briggs, and one of them was Alex Brown, who was on the opposite side of the field when that play started. So that's the kind of effort I hope that we can look forward to with this football team. I hope that they buy in uh, to what Matt Eberflus is selling right away on the defensive side so that uh, we can get to work because we know we have horses on defense. We have Roquan Smith. We have Jalen Johnson. Maybe this can be the defensive system that revitalizes Eddie Jackson and brings him. I don't I mean, who knows if he's going to fall in line with the effort thing for somebody who has, who's been outspoken on tackling not being important. It will be now. And also, these are not the people that brought you in, so they don't have the same love for you that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, who drafted you and developed you, have for you. So, everybody's on notice now. It's a new regime, you know. This is not the time to uh, be stubborn. Either fall in line or uh, the you know, the unemployment line's over there kind of thing. So, um, you know, Roquan, we have Eddie Jackson, we have Jalen Johnson. We've got, uh, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, but Robert Quinn, 18 and a half sacks, just set the – Uh, franchise record that stood for 37 years we got Khalil Mack you know with the uh, coming back fully healthy uh, afterwards and you know we've got options as you know we got a lot of decisions to make Uh, Bilal Nichols Akeem Hicks they're all um, they're free agents Uh, do you bring back Eddie Goldman maybe trade him away uh, while you can you know because he's certainly not earning the 10 million a season that that Ryan Pace extended him to uh, a few years ago. He was definitely worth the money when we signed him, but he hasn't been earning it, uh, or at least he didn't do well in because uh, in 2019 he was awesome, but he sat out 2020, and in 2021 he wasn't the same player. So I don't know, but uh, you know we've got young guys like Travis Gibson and uh, and um, Thomas Graham. Uh, that I'm sure will, you know, can and will develop under uh, this system. But it is also a base 4-3, which Robert Quinn will love because he didn't want to come here as an outside linebacker and drop into coverage. He wanted to get after the passer. Uh, a lot of people seem to be forgetting, because I see this all over Twitter. A lot of people seem to forget that Khalil Mack came into the league with the Raiders while they were running a 4-3. When he, run, when he run, won run Defensive player of the year in 2016, he was a hand-in-the-ground defensive end when he did it. So everyone can stop worrying about whether or not Khalil Mack can handle being in a 4-3 or if switching to a 4-3 means we should trade Khalil Mack while we can and get assets for him. Not the worst idea in the world with his age and his salary and, and all that kind of stuff, but if you're worried about production after switching to a new system... He's going to be healthier than he's been in a few years because that foot injury, I think, is something that's been lingering for a while. So he's had the surgery. It cost him half a season. So, you know, he was probably 100% healthy by the end of the year after the surgery and rehab and, and all that kind of stuff. And now he's just rebuilding his strength and, uh, you know, coming back ready uh, for 2022 and see where we go uh, from there. We got Robert Quinn for three more three more seasons. It's just that now we're at a point where it wouldn't cost us anything to lose Robert Quinn, to get rid of him, because we got the guaranteed money portion of his contract out of the way. So it wouldn't be the the blow to the Bears' salary cap that it would have been had we gotten rid of him after that first disastrous year uh, in Chicago. But, uh, yeah, it, it just seems like everyone seems to forget that he was a hand-in-the-ground defensive end for the Raiders in 2016 when he won NFL defensive player of the year Uh, he was so being an outside linebacker in a 3-4 and switching back to a defensive end I think that he would love that because that's what got him NFL defensive player of the year that's what got him the reputation that he's got in the NFL as being one of the best pass rushers in the league so no more of this nonsense about him and Robert Quinn dropping in coverage. Trying to cover, you know, tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. And their their objective from the snap of the football to the blow of the whistle is getting after the quarterback. I'm already a fan of this. So, but this is today's NFL. Even though the Bears were a base four three, we had a lot of four down linemen sets because we were in a nickel package because the NFL is such a throwing league now. You know, we didn't really run a three four. We ran like a four two five most of the time. So um but that's what's done in the league most of the time these days and I think that this this um uh scheme shift would affect the interior linemen more than it would Quinn and Mac maybe it affects Travis Gibson cuz he's a little bit on the lighter side but um you know I don't think it would be overly uh you know I don't think it would be too too different to uh to put him to to switch him to being a, a hand in the ground defensive, and if I'm not mistaken, that's what he was when he was in Tulsa, when he was in college. So might not be a transition for him at all? Either so, time will tell uh, there. But um, you know, going from uh, like Eddie Goldman, this is why he might be expendable because I guess playing nose tackle versus being a three technique for a four three defensive line is a different skill set. And so maybe we get him out. We know Bilal Nichols can do it because we literally watched him his first four years in the league, you know, move all over the line. He was our nose tackle last year when Eddie, when Eddie Goldman was out, but he he went back to defensive end this year uh, now that Eddie Goldman uh, was back. So I don't think that would be a problem for uh, Bilal Nichols, but he might not be in the plans for the Bears, he is a free agent. He did finish out his rookie contract, so he may not be back. So we'll have to see. The Bears have a lot of interesting decisions to to make. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting and also encouraging from our new general manager is, as I mentioned before, he was a offensive lineman in college, blocked for Matt Ryan, which made him a number three pick overall in 2008, uh, is that um, he was not pleased with what he saw from the offensive line of our beloved Chicago bears. And one of the things that he mentioned, he didn't say anything towards an incident specifically, but he did mention that he did not like watching Justin Fields, pick himself up off the ground. He did not like watching nothing happen after Justin Fields took a shot one too many times or took an inappropriate shot to begin with. So, Automatically, that tells me two things. Number one, he and Tevin Jenkins are going to get along just great. And number two, Jermaine Ifedi isn't coming back, so I just don't see that happening. I mean, I didn't see it happening anyway, but uh, I can definitely think that uh, this is probably uh, the end for a Fidi, uh in Chicago because you know, general manager doesn't want one guy getting in somebody's face when they when they hit our quarterback. He wants five guys, and that's a mental thing. So, definitely, Tevin Jenkins can be a guy. Apparently, he's not high on Larry Borum like the uh, former regime was, and uh, so we'll see what happens there. So maybe he thinks Borum needs more work um, to to be developed, or you know, because when uh, I think Olin Crutes, when they were asking him what he would do. Uh, with the football team, he said he would solidify the left tackle position. So he would go out and get the best left tackle available. Move Jenkins over to right tackle because we know, right? You know Jenkins is a right tackle. That's what he played the majority of his time in college. And then move Larry Borum into right guard as a safety net for James Daniels, possibly not coming back. So he did not have the best 2021 season. This is not not what you want to be saying when you're in a contract year but apparently uh you know james daniels didn't really impress anybody um he was having an awesome season before he had that pectoral injury uh in 2020 and we lost him for the year in week five uh last year but uh, he didn't have a horrible season but going back and looking at the stats uh apparently on the offensive line he was one of the worst as far as like giving up quarterback hits and hurries and Things like that. And uh that is especially bad because he's an interior lineman, which means that he was doing a bad job of keeping the defenders away on the shortest route to the quarterback. Not having to go around the edge and come and get him and all that kind of stuff. You go through the middle. That's the fastest way there. And James Daniels had the biggest problem stopping that. So not good. So it also probably means we're we're, you know, Sam Mustafer, if he is he I mean, I'm sure he'll be back. He's an undrafted rookie free agent. There's some different things going on with those guys and their contracts. I think he's like an exclusive rights free agent, which means the Bears have first dibs uh, kind of thing or right to refusal, like like they can match offers and things like that. And, um, you know, we'll see what it also means for Cody White here because I'm sure that we're out of the woods on any guaranteed money uh, to him as well. So it's it's encouraging, because not so much because he doesn't like what we've got going on now but it's encouraging because we know that with him it's going to be a focus of the football team it's going to be a focus on solidifying and improving uh, the offensive line apparently he had a big hand in uh, revamping the offensive line for the Chiefs after it basically cost them the Super Bowl uh, last year against the Buccaneers where they just they were teeing off on the Chiefs at the end of and getting after Mahomes there uh, in in that super bowl where they just got crushed by uh Tampa Bay because they just couldn't stop the Bucs they just kept coming and, and they couldn't stop them he goes out and and you know helps with Orlando Brown it was him that uh i think uh made the call on Creed Humphrey who was uh, like a 6 round pick but was a huge it was a starter uh for them and uh, you know their center or something like that as well it just uh their offensive line was not their weakness this year as like it was in the especially in the playoff run uh, last year so uh offensive line is going to be a focus and as I like to say as a former offensive lineman myself that is fantastic news so I look very much forward to seeing what developments uh, take place with the offensive line and uh what uh what this guy has in store uh for the team as uh I think it was encouraging that uh, both appear to be fans of um Justin Fields so any of that uh, rumor about Fields being uh, something that coaches weren't interested in or uh, or anything like that or people not being sold on what they saw in 2021 uh, can at least be put to bed for the short term that um, you know Fields has fans in the new uh, regime and he's not going anywhere uh, anytime soon because I think you know most people have written off his rookie year because we knew that Nagy wasn't doing a damn thing for him. That uh, you know we weren't doing anything to help him. That he was out there while he was still learning and expected to make mistakes, being put in the worst possible position um, to succeed. So see what happens when you've got the right people around him. When you have people that are trying to protect him and use his strengths as opposed to exposing his weakness because your your scheme doesn't fit your players' skill set. <laughs> this episode of the Talk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org. Or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. (laughs) So let's talk about the rest of this uh, regime. We have for the first time in team history an assistant general manager. Uh, His name is Ian Cunningham. He comes to us from the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is a guy... That has two Super Bowl rings, actually, because he started out in uh, in his front office uh, career as a player personnel assistant in Baltimore with the Ravens. Um, he was with the Ravens from 2008 to 2016. The Ravens won a Super Bowl in 2012. Uh, he was area scout for them from 2013 to 2016. Then he moved on to the Eagles, director of college scouting in 2017. That was the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, so he's got two Super Bowl rings uh, from his time out there in Philly. He comes to us as the director of player personnel uh, in Philadelphia, now the right-hand man, the number two uh, behind Ryan Poles, also a former offensive lineman. So if if you were worried about what the offensive line might look like in 2022, I think that the uh, that the 1 and 1A one positions in our front office now our former offensive lineman, so that's probably going to be a major focus of the franchise for the foreseeable uh, future. Now, when uh, Coach Iberflus was hired, because he is a defensive coach, the next big question was, who is the offensive coordinator going to be? Because that was also the big you know, uh, hubbub about uh, Dan Quinn. Being like the favorite to come in, or at least the fan favorite, the one that people were, you know, kind of leaning on. And like, yeah, man, I think I like the idea of Dan Quinn. He was a head coach in Atlanta. They went to a Super Bowl. They had a loss that's probably haunted him to this day, something that he would definitely do over again if given uh, the second chance. You know, it, things basically went downhill after losing that Super Bowl uh, in Atlanta. He just had a very successful year as defensive coordinator for the Cowboys so we know he's still good at what he does and uh still a good leader of men because he turned that defense around they were god awful in 2020 and they were one of the more solid units in the league uh in 2021 so hot on the uh on a list for of candidates he interviewed quite a few places it was definitely uh Denver and Chicago and I think there were a couple other places maybe New York uh for the Giants as well that he interviewed with and in the end um i th- i think they said he had his heart set most on Denver and uh decided that he was going to stay uh with Dallas and remain their coordinator for at least one more year we'll see how that goes uh for for them but uh you know but the big question was you know if Dan Quinn comes in then the the, the next big thing will be who his offensive coordinator is and when when we went with Eberflus that became the uh, the big question is who's the offensive coordinator going to uh, be? And after some debate, the Bears struck quickly and hired Luke Getze, the quarterback coach and passing game coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. So we have poached from the Packers. And, um, you know, he comes to us because there was an opportunity for him to be play caller because he was likely going to be Uh, promoted to offensive coordinator in Green Bay because their OC, Nathaniel Hackett, is the head coach of the Denver Broncos, the job that Dan Quinn wanted, apparently. But um, so, you know, he would have been elevated to offensive coordinator, but he wouldn't be calling plays because Matt LaFleur calls the plays uh, in Green Bay. So he comes to Chicago. He's got a young, uh, talented, strong-armed, mobile quarterback to work with. And uh, he's got a chance to write his own ticket. And what's important there is not only who the offensive coordinator is, but who his top assistant would be, who would be the guy waiting in the wings. Because if he comes in, he being anybody that was named offensive coordinator, if he comes in and does his job well, chances are he'll only make it a year or two with us before he's getting a head coaching job of his own. And just for the sake of continuity, for the sake of development of this young quarterback, you're going to want to also bring somebody in that is training to be the offensive coordinator right behind him so there isn't this drop-off when Getse gets his own head coaching job and our quarterback coach or whoever becomes the brand-new offensive coordinator to have an internal candidate that can just step right in uh, and take over the spot. And we hired a quarterback coach, the quarterback coach from um, Minnesota. And I had that one written down. Andrew Janico is his name. And uh, he was the quarterback coach for the Minnesota Vikings in 2021. So this past season, he's been with the Vikings since 2015. He's coached wide receivers uh, and offensive line while he was there. So, I mean, he would be... Probably a really great choice as far as being our next uh, offensive coordinator if and when uh, Luke Getze is, uh, you know, off to his own uh, head coaching uh, position. Uh, he was coaching wide receivers, I think, since 2019. And uh, so he was the wide receiver coach in 2020 when Justin Jefferson was drafted uh, by the uh, by the Vikings and had an outstanding uh rookie season uh up there uh in Minnesota and obviously he's been coaching Adam Thielen uh as well and when he moved to quarterback coach uh Kirk Cousins had one of his best seasons uh you know as far as uh his time in Minnesota uh is concerned. His touchdowns were up, his interceptions were down. Unfortunately it didn't translate into much as far as wins and losses for the Vikings because their defense was terrible. But it wasn't because uh you know Kirk Cousins was his 50-50 uh, or one-to-one ratio touchdown to interceptions like he had been uh, in the past. So uh, he benefited greatly. He was a quarterback in college, and he also does have ties uh, to Luke Getze. Uh, they were in the University of Pittsburgh together. That's where uh, Janico was the uh, was a quarterback while uh, Getze was a grad assistant out there. So they worked together before. I mean, granted, this was like 10, 12 Years ago, but they're familiar uh, with each other. Also, another uh, person who could possibly uh, inherit the uh, offensive coordinator uh, position is our new wide receiver coach, Tyke Tolbert. Um, he was a wide receiver coach for the Giants the last four years, 2018 to 2021. 20, uh, but before that, he was with the Broncos. Same position, wide receiver coach from 2011 to 2017. 2015 was the year that they won the Super Bowl out there uh in Denver. So he was coaching um, you know, Demarius Thomas and then those guys when Peyton Manning threw fifty-five touchdown passes uh in twenty thirteen when they went to Super Bowl forty eight, I believe. Yeah, forty-eight. Uh they got murdered by the Seahawks in that game, but they had the best offense in the history of the NFL in twenty thirteen. Uh and he had a hand as the uh wide receivers coach but he comes to Chicago as our wide receiver coach and our passing game coordinator. So somebody who's going to have a hand in making play calls with uh, on our on the passing side of things very well could just step in and take over the whole book if and when Luke Getzey uh you know gets a uh, and this is obviously best case scenario oddly enough Uh, best case scenario is us losing our offensive coordinator because he means that, uh, you know, he turned Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears offense into something that made the league stand up and take notice so that he was needed to be poached, uh, away from us. Very much like in 2015, when Adam Gase came in with John Fox as his offensive coordinator and became the Jake Cutler whisperer, where again, Cutler's touchdowns were up, his interceptions were down. We only won six games in 2015, but Cutler was a far more efficient and not as mistake-prone as he had been in the past. The Bears' offense was pretty good, um, well, in, in comparison to what it was in 2014. But you know, we we had a good-looking offense, and I think it was more so what he had done with Jay Cutler that first year that got Adam Gase uh, his head coaching job out and. Uh, Miami uh, in 2016 so if things go well uh, for Luke and Justin Fields becomes the quarterback that we drafted him to be or that many people considered him to be going in because as much as everyone wants to talk about Trevor Lawrence there was a good portion of the league that had Justin Fields as number one on the quarterback board uh, going into the draft uh, last year so we will, uh, we will see how that goes. And so, I mean, it's funny. Best case scenario for the Bears is Luke Getzi is gone after a year or two because he's done such a great job with, with uh, Justin Fields and with the direction uh, of this offense that he's now off to be a head coach uh, himself. So it is imperative that, uh, you know, not only do we have to nail this offensive coordinator hiring, we also have to make sure that somebody behind him is being developed to take over because if he is what we what, need, what we need to be, if he can hit the ground running with us, uh, and you know, you know, like a fish to water, uh, when it comes to play calling and scheming up a successful game plan, he's going to be gone almost immediately, and we need somebody to come in to make the transition smooth for Fields and for our offense, so we can just keep going uh, after this happens. So, you know, that's what they were doing in Kansas City. When uh, when Matt Nagy left and came to Chicago, Eric Bieniemy stepped right in and was taking over the play calling duties. And it's been four very very successful years out there in Kansas City with Mahomes and the offense and developing him and being top flight for each of the last four seasons. So um, that's what we want to see uh, in Chicago. And um, you know uh, anything else on the? Yes, our offensive line coach. Uh, We have a new offensive. By the way, the Bears have wiped the slate clean. Nobody's coming back this year. Chris Tabor, our special teams coordinator, uh, took the same job out there uh, in Carolina. Uh, I haven't heard about anybody else finding new jobs. I know Sean Desai was being interviewed uh, in Las Vegas for defensive coordinator, possibly in Seattle uh, as well, but he's not coming back. Uh, This new offensive line coach that we we have means that Juan Castillo uh, is gone. And his name is Chris Morgan, most recently the assistant line coach in Pittsburgh, but was the Atlanta Falcons offensive line coach from 2015 to 2020. And 2016 was the year that the, the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. So he was on Dan Quinn's staff, so maybe he had a chance of coming back to Chicago anyway, If uh, even if it was Dan Quinn uh, that it was his uh, head coach. He was also an assistant line coach in Seattle in 2014 when they went to the Super Bowl there as well. So the, the thing that you're seeing with all of these coaches that the Bears have, or a lot of them anyway, is that they've all been successful or been on teams that have been successful hand to hand, had a hand in the success of all their previous regimes. Chris Morgan, Atlanta, and Seattle went to the Super Bowl, who um, was an assistant O line coach. The Steelers got themselves to the playoffs uh, this year. Luke Getze from Green Bay. Don't need to talk about why that's important. Um, Alan Williams, our new defensive coordinator, and he will be calling the defensive plays. Matt Eberflus is not going to be Matt Nagy where he's coming in calling plays from the side of the ball that got him his job. He is going to be the CEO of the football team and leave the play calling to his uh, coordinators. Alan Williams was the defensive back coach for the Colts uh, the last four years under Eberflus, and he was actually uh, the uh, the DB coach back under Tony Dungy from 2002 to 2011, and obviously we know in 2006 the Colts won the Super Bowl when they beat us uh, 15 years ago to the day, basically. Um, and uh, so obviously, you know, he knows success. The Colts were wildly successful in his first stint, especially from 2002 to 2011. Those were all pretty much great years uh, for the Colts, Back then, he's also got some defensive coordinator experience, was with the Vikings in 2012-2013 uh, as their defensive coordinator. Like we just talked about our wide receiver coach, Tech, uh, Tyke Tolbert, uh, you know, going to a Super Bowl and winning it with the Broncos in 2015. Uh, our new special teams coordinator, who was just hired today, Richard Hightower, was with the 49ers the last four seasons, five. Uh, he, he basically filed Kyle Shanahan out to San Fran. Cisco, he's out there 2017 to 2021. Uh, what was it? Two two NFC Championship uh, appearances, one Super Bowl uh, appearance there. Our new defensive back coach, James Rowe, is from the Indianapolis Colts. A lot of Colts following over our assistant DB coach, David Overstreet II played for Eberflus in Missouri. Was actually also an undrafted free agent for the Bears back in 2007, uh, and was the assistant DB coach in Indy in 2021. He's working his way up uh, in the uh, in the coaching um, coaching tree, uh, if you will. But all of these guys have had success. They they've been where we want to go from our general manager on down from Ryan Pohl spending the last 13 seasons of his career uh, in Kansas City, where they basically, in 2009, I mean, well, 2013, Andy Reid's first team, uh, first year, they had the number one pick in the draft. So obviously they were the worst team in football in 2012. That's why they had the number one pick in the draft in 2013. He He was with the organization then and saw them go from the number one pick in the draft to winning the Super Bowl in what 6 7 seasons winning it in 2019 have been in the, the AFC Championship game the last 4 seasons uh you know and uh, basically are the Patriots in the AFC now even though they didn't make it to the Super Bowl this year but you know the last 4 years they're in the AFC Championship game that's what the Patriots were doing the worst the Patriots did for a long time for like a 7 or 8 year stretch the worst that the Patriots did was make it to the AFC Championship game and that's what the, the Chiefs are doing. They're, they have a legitimate chance to be in the Super Bowl every single year. Not just win the division or win a playoff game, but to get to a position, to put yourself in a position to go to and win the Super Bowl. That's where the Chiefs are as an organization right now. Year in and year out, that's where they're at. Uh, Ian Cunningham, like I said, winning Super Bowls in Baltimore and Philadelphia. He's our new assistant uh, general manager. What's funny is... like What's funny is that the, the, basically the, one of the people that, isn't, that hasn't had that kind of success is our head coach. <laughs> Ibra hasn't been on a world championship team uh, or anything like that. But after seeing the press conference um, this past Monday and, and listening to him speak, and the energy, you can tell he's an intense guy. You can tell he's a football coach. You can tell he's a football coach, and you can tell that uh, I, I think we've just initial impression. And I know this is rose-colored glasses. He's our guy now, and we got to support him anyway. But you know, like I, I like Matt Nagy from the beginning. But I like I like the guy. You know, I, I thought that it was it was cool. I thought we were going to have a more transparent coach as opposed to you know the years of of uh, you know Lovey and John Fox. Not wanting to tell the press anything, and Matt Nagy seemed to be a lot cooler than that. And that the you know it wasn't going to be that big a deal to to be transparent with the media and therefore the fan base uh, as well. Obviously, that changed over time because he got to the point where he wouldn't tell anybody anything. Um, like he wouldn't even tell us where he was during COVID. It's like what difference does it make? You're not at home. Obviously, you don't want to get the family sick. But anyway, you know. I, I get like I said I liked him as a football coach I definitely think he's going to come in he's going to be a teacher he's going to be uh, a leader and even though I I wanted Dan like I I'd, I'd really had my heart set on Dan Quinn I, I really did and he was a finalist it was Dan Quinn Matt Eberflus and Jim Caldwell none of which is really a sexy blow my hair back kind of hire but it's like I was talking myself into Dan Quinn getting a second chance not repeating the same mistakes he made in Atlanta, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I was really kind of sold on it, not to mention I kept hearing that one of the things that made him a finalist was one of the things they ask you in these interviews when you're uh, interviewing to be a head coach in the NFL is who would you bring in to be part of your staff and the, the guys that he had lined up that he probably had commitments from and things like that. If I get the job in Chicago, do you want to come with me and you want to be this guy for me and blah, blah, blah was impressive. So he was going to be bringing in a solid staff and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he didn't get the gig. But Matt Eberflus did, and he's been putting together a very solid coaching staff so far. I still think we need a, as far as, like, the openings, I think we need a defensive line coach, which I'm hearing could be Rod Marinelli. Wouldn't that be awesome? And uh, we also need a tight ends coach uh, as well. So, um as far as looking at, I mean, I don't know if we're going to be like the uh, like the old regime where we have an inside linebacker coach and an outside linebacker coach. If we're going to get that specific uh, with it, but um, you know, we don't have a defensive line coach yet, and we don't have a tight end coach. Those are like the only openings that I see uh, after hiring our special teams coordinator today. So um, we'll see how else the how else the Uh, staff rounds out but uh, the staff that he's putting together uh, has good marks they come with good pedigrees impressive uh, resumes and uh, hopefully they all have the same thing in common with Eberflus about accountability uh, and everything else Um, one other encouraging thing uh, about the press conference was that Justin Fields spoke at the press conference he was there he was the only player that was uh, a pro- probably the only player that was there, but he was definitely the only player that spoke. Uh, he answered questions from the media. Uh, he had just met Coach Iberflus outside before the press conference had started. He talked and texted with him uh, on the phone already, and and things like that. We didn't. I think we had hired Luke Getze at this point because I think we we like Iberflus and and Polls. It wasn't like they were hired on Monday and had the press conference on Tuesday, like the day with Fox uh, and Pace uh, back in the day. I think they were hired on like Tuesday and Wednesday of the week before, and then uh, our press conference was last Monday. I think Luke Getzey had been hired at that point already, like maybe a couple of days uh, before. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see how it all goes out. Now the, now the worst part begins we have to fight and dig and scratch and claw our way through this godforsaken uh, off season and uh <laughs> who you know who are we going to get in in free agency who stays will also be an interesting thing with the new regime you know they're not necessarily emotionally attached to anyone so we could be see bodies flying out the door uh new people coming in that will fit this new mentality uh that the you know that polls and Iberflus want to uh, adapt and uh you know bring in and uh, i for one I, i'm on board i mean if if this is where we're headed this is fantastic i'm excited about this because the, the the loaf system and demanding effort and there being consequences to not getting it i think is amazing so like i said before we may see a deficit in talent because some guys just don't want to uh, fall in line and give the effort that our new coaching staff Staff is demanding, but I think we'll see an uptick in effort. The guys that are playing are guys that want to play and that are going to put in the effort. So maybe we will get better results from people who actually want to be out there and do what's necessary to be on the field, give the effort that's demanded, and maybe that will turn into results. Do I think the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl in 2022? No, but I expect to see better on the field. I want to see us compete as opposed to what we were doing this year. You know, the last couple of years under Matt Nagy, we, we, we beat up on the inferior teams and then got beat up by the better ones. We didn't really, aside from us beating Tampa Bay last year in that Thursday night game, when was the last time that we beat, we beat somebody that was better than us? When was the last time that happened? That was week five of 2020 that we beat the Buccaneers. You know, you could blame that on a lot of things. The short notice, it was a road, road game for Tampa, you know, short week, Thursday night game, blah, 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 whatever. But that was the last real impressive win that the Bears had. It was a come from behind thing that we did. We beat Tom Brady for the first time uh, and all that kind of stuff. When was the last time the Bears beat somebody that they were worse than, that they were inferior to? When was the last time that happened? Because our effort was better than theirs. It hasn't happened often under Matt Nagy. Not since 2018. Hell, and even then we lost games that uh you know, we lost to the Patriots uh, and things like that. It was just it was encouraging that we were fighting the whole time, but we couldn't beat the Patriots in 2018. So speaking of which real quick somebody brought up on Twitter and I think it was just kind of like a joke because the Bears played both the Rams and the Bengals this year. Week 1, week 2, those you know our week 1 and week 2 opponents went to the Super Bowl this year. And it's like maybe maybe losing to the Bears is what you have to do in order to make it to the Super Bowl. Well the Rams beat us and they're going to the Super Bowl. Uh, I went back and I looked, and apparently just playing the Bears during the Matt Nagy era was your key to the Super Bowl. Uh, In 2018, we played the Rams and the Patriots. That was the Super Bowl in 2018, Rams-Patriots. In 2019, it was the, um, well, we didn't play the 49ers in 2019, but we did play the Chiefs, and the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl. Last year, it was the Buccaneers. They went to the Super Bowl. And then in 2020, 2021, we play the Rams and the Bengals. So if you play the Bears during the Matt Nagy era, your your odds of going to the Super Bowl shot through the roof exponentially. So something about that, uh, playing against the uh, the Bears in the last four years was the key to your success. So Matt Nagy's gone, so hopefully that will change and we'll be the ones going to the Super Bowl and uh, and what have you. But um Anyway, before we go, a couple of uh, news and notes um, i'd wanted to speak on real quick um, before we take off number one uh you know uh club thirty four seven will no longer be taking place on spotify green room we we're moving over to a brand new um, service or a brand new streaming um, basically another spotify green room it's called color cast uh the first show will be Not this Friday, but next Friday, the 18th. Friday the 18th will be the very first show because this Friday will be the 11th. And it will be Friday night at 7 p.m. Central. So if you guys figure that out, uh, I figured do it on a Friday. Be nice and casual, you know, kind of hanging out and things like that. Um, More details as we get closer uh, to that. But I just wanted to know if anyone was looking for the uh, Club 34 7 the on Spotify green room it's not going to be there uh, anymore that was uh, that ended at the end of uh, the calendar year 2021 so all of January and so far here in February I haven't been on the uh, on the app so moving over to Colorcast, more details to come but it'll be Friday night at 7 p.m. is when we'll be doing uh, the new live show uh, also gonna be busy this week I'm hoping to have all, both of the, both of our guests from this year, uh, Jake Ellenbogen and um, Kyle from the um, Battle of Ohio podcast to uh, Kyle Phelps, that's his last name, and uh, Jake Ellenbogen uh, from the Downtown Rams uh, podcast uh, to preview the Super Bowl. Thought I'd do something a little different this year to have them on individually talk about what the year has been like because, you know, obviously we started week one with the Rams and then came home week two for the Bengals. And, uh, I mean, it was an interesting football game with the, with the Bengals one, when we came out to this big lead and then almost blew it there, uh, at the end. And, uh, that's where we lost Andy Dalton and Roquan had the pick six and we had four straight turnovers in that ball game and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But from there, the Bengals only got better as they got further. So it was a win that looked better and better. But at the time, the Bears were looked upon as being the favorites. They should win that game. So, you know, for anyone that was screaming, when was the last time the Bears beat someone that was better than them? The Bengals weren't better than us week two. They're better than us now, but they weren't better than us week two when we played them. That was basically, at at worst, it was a pick 'em; It was 50-50. This could go either way. Uh, kind of football game, but we were looked upon as the better team going into it uh, that Sunday. So I don't really count that one as the last time the Bears beat someone that was better than us. Um, same thing for the Raiders a couple of weeks later. We, I think well, I thought we were, in, at the very least, we were on even ground with the Raiders at that point in the season. Obviously, by the end of the season, they were better than us because they made the playoffs and all the rest of that stuff. But So... Going to have them on this week. I'm thinking uh, hopefully on Wednesday and Thursday we'll have those those two shows and then Friday do a Super Bowl deep dive, if you will. And then possibly, if I can swing it, have the winner back on next week to review uh, the game. And then that will be the official end to the 2021 season. And then every episode to follow after that will be on 2022 and the upcoming season so come on back this week stay close to the social media at btu underscore larry on twitter and on instagram to find out when the new shows are coming out this week to preview the super bowl and um, that'll do it i think i'm gonna go ahead uh right now and just go ahead and take off so until then guys my name is larry d and this has been the bear stock underground